0: hello and welcome to the sensibly speaking podcast this is chris shelton the critical thinker at large coming at you for another rock'em sock'em episode here uh in june of 2019 uh and this is brought to you on stitcher itunes google play and with video here on youtube So uh, I have a guest I'll be introducing in a couple minutes. Uh, We are gonna be talking about evangelical uh, Christianity. Uh, This episode, we are going to be talking about the evangelical agenda, (laughs) which sounds very conspiracy theory-minded, but we're going to show that it's not. This is all in plain view, very, very hidden in plain sight sort of thing. Nobody's trying to hide anything. There's no conspiracy in that there's some secret thing going on here. It's, like I said, we're going to talk about how it's all in very, very plain view, and, um, and first, before we get into anything, I wanted to sort of jump right into it by sort of defining statistically what we're talking about, uh, because we're talking about a body of people, a, a great many millions of them here in the United States and around the world who have uh, a, a certain kind of religious Angle or belief or attitude, I guess you could say, even though there's lots and lots of different religious denominations or groups that make up evangelicals. Uh, And according to, and you kind of have to read the fine print on this because when you look to statistical information about it, you will find, for example, groups like the Mormons connected up, which we'll talk about, uh, with the evangelicals. And the evangelicals might have different views about whether Mormons are evangelicals or not. I mean, you know, so it's not like this is all one big happy family of people who all are on the same page about everything. They're not, not at all. And some people who are watching this right now might be self-identifying as evangelical Christians. And you could watch this entire episode and think, well, none of what you're talking about is me, so therefore you're wrong. No, we're not wrong, but that doesn't mean that everything we're going to talk about here applies to you, even if you are a self-identified evangelical Christian. Okay, I want to get to make that very, very clear. This is a multi-level, varied, lots of different beliefs and ideas in this mix here, but there is a general push or direction that is being sought after or gone after by some of the leaders of the evangelical world. And that's where my focus is right now. Um, So first, to kind of lay this out, lay some groundwork here, uh, here are a couple statistical points based on surveys uh, in the United States and around the world of what we're dealing with. Evangelicalism is an umbrella group of Protestant Christians who believe in the necessity of being born again, emphasize the importance of of evangelism, and affirm traditional Protestant teachings on the authority and the historicity of the Bible. So if that's not you, then we're not talking about you. (laughs) At Whatever name or label you want to call yourself, these are the folks we're talking about. Christianity is the most adhered to religion in the United States with 75%, three out of four, of polled American adults identifying themselves as Christians in 2015. This is down from 85% in 1990, so a 10% drop from... 1990 to 2015 in the number of people self-identifying as Christians, uh, which is also lower than uh, 81% in 2001 and slightly lower than 78% in 2012. Now, also, interestingly, about 62% of those polled claim to be members of a church congregation. So not all of these self-identifying Christians are actually even going to church. Um, A 2004 Pew survey identified that while 70% of Americans call themselves Christian, evangelicals only make up 26.3% of the population, while Catholics make up 22% and mainline Protestants make up 16%. So, you know, there's some wiggle room with all of these percentages. None of these are hard or fast figures. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, So we've got about a quarter of the population basically that we're saying are evangelicals, 75% of the population here in the United States identifying as Christians. Three quarters of evangelical Protestants are white in the United States, but the share of evangelicals who are not white is actually growing, it's on the upswing. As of 2014, 11% of adults who identify with evangelical denominations are Hispanic, 6% black, 2% Asian, 5% mixed race or something else. Education-wise, on average, evangelical Protestants have somewhat lower levels of educational attainment compared with the U.S. public as a whole. Uh, Roughly one in five evangelical Protestants are college graduates. Uh, So here you have 25% of the population identified as evangelical, 21% of them are college graduates. Uh, 35% have some college education, 43% high school or less. And location-wise, half, geographically, 49% of evangelical Protestants reside in the South. Surprise! Which is home to 37% of the overall US population. So a disproportionate number of Protestant, evangelical Protestants are in the South compared to the rest of the country. Nearly one quarter of evangelicals live in the Midwest. So South is half of them, A quarter, another quarter of them are in the Midwest, and 20% live in the West. Um, Just 9% of evangelicals live in the Northeast, which is kind of interesting. And okay, now this is an important piece of information also. Evangelical numbers are actually growing. The percentages are going down, but the population is going up. So while the percentage of the population can go down, the actual numbers can still be rising. That's a very important point because some of what's driving a lot of the uh, frantic activity on the part of evangelicals is their belief that they're a diminishing minority small group of people who are getting smaller, which is not the case at all. Uh, The evangelical Protestant share of the population has dipped slightly in recent years, but more slowly than mainline Protestant and Catholic populations. Though the percentage of Americans who identify with evangelical Protestant denominations has ticked downward, the absolute number of evangelicals appears to be rising uh, in the overall U.S. population. Roughly 62 million evangelical Protestant adults in 2014 to 62 million, which is up from 59 million in 2007. So statistically going down, but numbers actually rising. And then worldwide, I just wanted to comment on this real fast. Uh, world percentages of religion, Christianity, by far the largest largest uh, percentage of uh, religion in the world at 33%, 2.4 billion people identify as Christians, 1.8 billion as Islamic, uh, secular is 1.2 billion, which is half of the number of Christians. You take all the Christians in the world, you divide them in half. That's how many atheists we have. Uh, and Hindus are 1.15 billion. So, uh, so that's how the numbers work out. And, uh, then finally, I wanted to, um, talk about a focal area here in the United States for evangelical belief and this evangelical agenda that we're gonna be talking about here is Liberty University, which is in Lynchburg, Virginia. And this is run by Jerry Falwell Jr. Now, uh, this is just one fairly large and very obvious example of what we're talking about with this uh, evangelical agenda. Um, Again, these guys are loud and proud about this. There's nothing hidden about this. There's no secret about any of it. Um, Lynchburg, Virginia has this Liberty University just dominating the place. And I'm quoting now from a, uh, a Guardian article where it says that Jerry Falwell Jr. was instrumental in delivering 81% of white Christian evangelical voters for Donald Trump in 2016. Ahead of next month's midterm elections, that support appears to be holding up. This is an older article when we had the midterms. Um, a survey... Published in early October by the Public Religion Research Institute, found that 72% of white evangelical Protestants had a favorable opinion of the president. So clearly their politics skew, right? And they go, and they're very, very favorable towards Trump, which is fine. They can have a political opinion, but it's very interesting how that opinion is driven by their evangelical preachers. Uh, because statistically, I won't break down this, you can go through the article or, or do some research yourself on this, but statistically speaking, the number of people in evangelical communities who voted for Donald Trump, mainly were the people who were attending church services on a regular basis. The less people attended, even self-identified evangelicals who were, who were not attending services tended to move left in their political orientation. I thought that was a very interesting point and um and of course a lot of people on the left look at the hypocrisy of this they look at the belief system of a of a christian or the beliefs of a of a bible toting person and they go how can you possibly support donald trump i'd kind of like to avoid that particular part of the conversation in this podcast at least because the exact same thing is said by the right about the people on the left. And they both have, there there are valid points to be made on this in terms of the hypocrisy because the left-leaning Democrat politics politicians, it, you know, they got their problems and hypocrisies too. So we don't, you know, we don't necessarily need to, uh, I don't think that's a very strong argument to be making is the reason I'm sort of poo-pooing it right now. Okay, so... Um, I wanted to point to this Guardian article because uh, there are very specific goals that are, being, that are being sought here by this evangelical agenda. Um, changing attitudes and legislation on abortion, divorce, gender equality, and LGBT rights were powerful indicators of the loss of Protestant privilege and a prelude to white evangelicals moving in such large numbers to supporting Trump. Uh, critically, they wanted a president who would nominate conservative Supreme Court justices. Quote, presidents come and go, but appointments to the Supreme Court are for life. With the right nominees, you could change the Supreme Court majority for half a century. Evangelicals tell themselves that Trump is the vehicle God has chosen to drive the conservative evangelical agenda. End quote. So that's out of this Guardian article that I will link to in the show notes. All right, so... That being sort of the the setting has now been set here. So I am welcoming back Clint Heacock. He is a former evangelical minister and somebody I had on just a a month or two ago on my podcast. We had a great conversation about religion and, of course, related it to cult belief because when people start taking these religious beliefs a little too seriously and a little bit, you know, in a very bigoted, harsh, uh, discriminatory way, then the rest of us go, dude, what are you doing? what's happening here why are you being so extreme right and we and we have a negative reaction to that and uh, and when they go all the all in and they're being led by somebody who's actually you know really nuts then we say hey we're talking about a destructive cult here and i believe very firmly based on all of my experience and education in this subject that we have definite indications of destructive cult activity on the part of evangelicals here in the United States. So that's why I'm doing this podcast to kind of break this down a little bit. And I want Clint to help me with that. So Clint, welcome to the show again. I'm so glad you're on board.
1: Thank you, Chris. Yeah, it's, it's been great to chat with you again. There's been a lot of stuff that's gone on just in the last month or so since we did our last podcast. I was going to say, you know, going back to the, all the statistics you were quoting, yeah. there was a couple thoughts that came to mind. One of the things is, there's two things I wanted to mention. One is, there's there's always historically been a tendency in American Christian, Christianity to over-report. This is something, mm. so those statistics are, you got to take it with a grain of salt. I know there's a lot of evangelicals in America, but I read a fascinating book. It's called What Americans Really Believe by Rodney Stark a few years ago. And it's it's a comprehensive study by the Baylor School of Religion. This was done about, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. But what's really interesting when he gets into the final, the analysis of all the polling of all the Christians they did right across America, they they concluded that there must be an, a tendency to overreport. So Christians are saying, people are saying they're Christians just because they're American. I'm an American. Oh. You know, so they even may claim to be evangelical, but that doesn't, because like you said, this church statistic, church attendance statistic, statistics don't back that up. Yeah, you, where are they? every sunday if 80 some percent of americans are christians the churches should be packed out. you know, there shouldn't be any parks filled on a sunday, there shouldn't be any concerts going
0: on. They should exactly. all be in church. Exactly. And and we see this worldwide as well, because we know, yeah, um, yeah. and I don't think it's just hopeful thinking on the part of atheists or secularists, who that the percentages of people who are hardcore religious believers are going down. It's a, It seems to be a statistical fact. So I, I, I agree with, I get what you're saying there.
1: Yeah, and then the second thing is that there's a global trend. And I think this must play into what you what you slid into when you started talking about Falwell, Junior, Liberty University, the religious right. And that is that in the last probably 20 or 30 years, there has been a global shift in Christianity worldwide, just full stop. In other words, what's happening is it's moving. You, the West used to be the center of Christianity. It was from the West that Christianity sent out all of its major missionary That's where the modern missions movement started was here in Britain where I live, you know, people like William Carey and people like that, they went to India and all over the place, but it was part of the colonialist agenda. They went along with the British India company and things like that as into Africa and places like that as part of the colonizing efforts of Europeans and then Americans. What's shifting now is that the center of Christianity is, is what they call the 1040 window. So it's the, if, if you look at the equator, it's the, the, the latitudes just above and just below the equator, the 10 to down to the 40. And that's where the broad belt of, of global Christianity is centered now in Africa, in India, in place, the largest church, I believe, is still in Korea, South Korea, in the world. You know, so the center of global Christianity is shifting from the West to the East, if you will, or, and South. And what's happening, there's a funny trend. It's called reverse missions. So actually, Christians from Africa and other countries are coming to the West to missionalize the West. And this is what's happening now. They're saying, my God, the West is is becoming a secularist place. Europe and America are becoming secular nations. We need to evangelize them. So actually, they're coming here to Britain. And so what we're seeing here is because there's huge populations of people who used to live in, for example, British colonies, they're now they've been evangelized by Christian missionaries from Europe and America. They're coming back here because there's huge populations of you know Indians, uh, Africans living here in Britain, for example, and in America. So I think part of this, what we're seeing in America particularly, is their last gasp to to maintain global dominance because Christianity is actually slipping. It's changing in terms of the global uh, focus.
0: That is very interesting. That is very interesting. And I'll take your word for a lot of what you were talking about there, Um, because statistically speaking, I mean, you know, I mean, the best we can do is look at statistics and polling data from groups like Pew, who, you know, have some integrity, uh, you know, and and some verifiability behind what they're talking about. But we can't uh, just use the numbers. And just think with that, because there is all this raw data that we have out there, all the substance of information that also gives more character or meaning or understanding to those numbers.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's this has become the problem. For example, I don't want to get off into the reverse missions thing, but it's an interesting trend because, for example, when I taught in a Bible college here in the UK, I taught in Leeds, which has a huge Asian and African population. And my students in Leeds were all from Africa, every single one of them. They were all, but they they all moved to, to the UK. And their biggest problem was to figure out how can we evangelize the white British people outside of our little closed community. And so that's what they're dealing with. So, you know, you can see these trends and forces that are, are you know, where Christians today are dealing with evangelicals for sure. Because as you said, the key word I wanted to pick up on is They have that missional focus. That's what really, one of the things that separates evangelicals out from your more or less, let's say liberal Christians, they have a focus to evangelize the world. And that's why these Africans and Indians, they're they're so concerned, how do we reach out beyond our little community and start to build relationships with white British people? Because we need to evangelize them too. (laughs) Right.
0: Let me ask you, I'm very familiar with the, with the uh, desire to propagate or disseminate one's religion. I mean, being involved with Scientology for so many years, we had a very, very clear-cut, very out in the open, as far as we were concerned, there was nothing hidden about it, agenda to conquer the world. We wanted every single person to become a Scientologist, period. There was no exceptions. There was nobody that we didn't want to make into a Scientologist, unless they were criminally insane, of course, or psychotic. I mean, you know, you know, but that's, I don't think that even needs to be said out loud. We were talking about the, you know, the, 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 not the majority of people, we wanted everyone. There was nobody, it was not live and let live kind of attitude, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Is that what I just described? Is that the attitude of the evangelicals?
1: Well, this is what's so interesting is that as I've been reading uh, Conway and Siegelman's book, Holy Terror, this has really opened my eyes up to that exact thing you've just described. In fact, I've got a podcast. I'll put a shameless plug in for my (laughs) my podcast, but I just interviewed Conway and Siegelman. So coming out on Mindshift Podcast around the end of June, I've got a fantastic interview with Flo Conway and Jim Siegelman. They wrote Snapping, Holy Terror, other books. And they've done a lot of study on the cults, but specifically fundamentalism, Christian fundamentalism. And what they talk about in Holy Terror is they say that basically fundamentalism is that has its goal, as you just described, to proselytize the world. And so if you actually take it to its logical conclusion, what that must mean then is all religions in its way have to go. They have to be subsumed of folk religions, world religions, whatever it's that's the only way it's got to be able to work. We have to evangelize the world. and that's right out of the Great Commission and the great commandment, the words of Jesus at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. you know, so they're taking their cues from the texts of the of the Gospels.
0: And this is really interesting because we have to keep in mind here with this that that means I mean there's no other way to think about this than these are very intolerant people absolutely regardless now and i want to say this i'm bringing my scientology experience into this because it's the same kind of mindset which is that they might say i mean scientologists i get this question all the time well they say you can go into scientology and be and, and be a christian you know be a hindu be a be a muslim and you could still be a scientologist no guys no that is dead dead wrong they will tolerate your other religion for a few months, maybe a year, right? But you're going to start hearing about it. They're going to start pulling you in and sitting you down and going, you know, this Christian stuff, that's really interesting. But why do you believe that? You know, and they're going to start trying to break it down and they're going to try to start deconstructing your belief system because they want to make you 100% a Scientologist. Period, because that's the only line to truth. That's the motivating force behind that, right? Is we have the truth and no one else does. And it's truth with a capital T. And that's the kind of extremist mindset I'm talking about. You might think out there while you're listening or watching this that, you know, you have a line into the truth. You know, Jesus Christ is Lord, or, you know, Buddha is this, or, you know, whatever it is you think, you might think you've got the only line to truth there is. Well, I'm telling you that right there is the seed that grows into intolerance and extremism, and that's where Absolutely. these guys live these these evangelicals, right? And so I'm you know I'm not I'm not making these comparisons lightly. I, I realize what I'm saying here is that there's a whole swath of the population that's a little fanatical and has kind of lost the plot when it comes to religious tolerance and what America itself was actually founded on. Because I'm focusing sort of on America. We've talked world. But now let's bring it back to America specifically, and I I agree. These last gasps of, you know, oh my God, the Wiccans are the ones who are the fastest growing religions in the United States. What? I'm sure this must be very alarming for evangelicals, right? So you've lived this, you've walked this walk. So how do how did you used to think with this, and and uh, and what motivated you as a, as an evangelical believer?
1: Well, the same thing you just described. Really? When I went to Bible College in Portland, in Oregon, years ago, it was it was a, a known as a missions sending college. I won't name the school, but anyone who's who knows evangelicalism knows which college I'm talking about, which Bible College specifically in Portland, and they're known for being founded on this missions evangelical movement, and that's they are known for sending out missions, and therefore their whole focus was their their impli- wasn't even an implicit message it was an explicit message was that in the hierarchy of christian vocations the highest calling is to be a, a foreign missionary you know going to africa or india or wherever in the world not just staying in america and being a pastor underneath that are things like pastors and you know those kind of vocational workers so in the hierarchy of christian and in that brand of evangelicalism Missions is the highest calling. And they actually would have a missions week. Uh, in, In the autumn term or the fall term of the year, we would close classes down for an entire week. And it was mandatory attendance. You had to attend every week, every day, I mean, of missions week. And they would press and pressure and bring people in to speak and preach and try to recruit us to be become missionaries, to sign up for their organizations.
0: Wow, that's very interesting. I had no idea. This was a college you were actually paying for this experience? Yeah, I,
1: I got my bachelor's degree from this college. Right. Well, it's, it's, right. It's, a, it's a university now. They okay. were in the process of transitioning to become an actual accredited college when I went there, and they just finished that up when I left in 1997. So it was a long time ago. They've gotten way bigger, and but they came out of Dallas Seminary in in Dallas, Texas, which itself—that's the thing—you got to look at the history of it because Dallas Seminary was an off; it, it was part of the what they call the Great Fundamentalist Flight in the night around the night turn of the century, 1900s, nineteen up until about nineteen twenty. The great schools like Princeton and Yale—they used to be seminaries, but when the liberal Christians started, you know, kind of pr- promoting their views the fundamentalists up and left, and they started their own fundamentalist Bible colleges and seminaries. And that was a big movement in, in America around the turn of the century. So my Bible college in Portland was originally started by Dallas seminary graduates who, who sought to bring that sort of anti-modernist, fundamentalist, evangelical you know view of the Bible and missions to the school. And so I'm, I'm in that tradition, basically.
0: Okay, got it. So... Okay, good. So let's get to the agenda. What, what are the agenda points? What is it that these people want?
1: Well, they want to take over the world, as you say. (laughs) I I would say there's, I love history. And I love studying the history of it. Because, again, I think I think what's what's key to understand is their motivation. Mm -hmm. So I would say we got to go back to the Puritans. Okay, so they came across mainly from Britain, to come to America in the late 17th century early 18th century seeking religious freedom and they viewed it as we're coming across to america just as the israelites came across it out of egypt into the promised land so america was the promised land so they had what's called covenant theology in other words god makes covenants not just with individuals but with entire nations just like the nation of israel in the old testament was a covenant nation they had a special sort of status and so The Puritans saw themselves as founding a sort of a new Israel. And so they believe that as God, if we are are obedient as a nation, God will bless us. If we disobey as a nation, God will punish us. And we see that all over the place, even to this very day. 9-11, for example, there's that famous clip of, you've probably seen it, Jerry Falwell Sr., Couple days after nine eleven, him and Pat Robertson, and they're saying, "Why did this happen?" And Jerry Falwell says, "It's because we're sinning as a nation. God has sent these judgments to wake us up, so we'll repent and get on the right path." Now, part of the being on the right path and being blessed by God is this evangelism of the world, and so America was like the shining light. That was their their motto for it was the city on the hill, which is a biblical allusion, a biblical reference, the words of Jesus. And part of that then is we're going to be the sort of the broadcast to all the world of what Christianity could and should be. And so that's where the revivalist movement in America comes out of, the Great Awakening, all that's based on that sort of theology. And we see it right through to today in the modern missions
0: movement. Interesting. How many Christians did you meet up with or have you met since you've left this thing who thought, you know, I'm Christian, but, but you guys are, this is too much. You, you know what I mean? Like, cause I see a lot of that. I ask questions about people who follow me on Twitter or who follow me on Facebook. And I go, do you guys believe this? I'll post some article that Falwell makes some outrageous, you know, hyperbolic extremist statement, or there will be, you know, so, just the other day, somebody tweeted out, you know, you cannot be Christian and be homosexual. You cannot be Christian and be homosexual with little, little clapping hands between each word it was a really annoying tweet and i tweeted this thing i retweeted i'm like do you guys really believe this is this is anybody who follows me on board with this and and one for one the response is coming back where that lady is nuts that is not christianity as i understand it christianity is about love and tolerance and these people have completely lost the plot and they're just hateful bigots I don't know. What do you do? How? What do you run into with this? Because this is what I always run into is like, how many of these people are there? Like, how much of a how much of a threat is this?
1: Well, we're you're describing. I would say an actual fundamentalist Christian. Yeah. Yeah. You know that that is absolute fundamentalist Christian. One who is comes out of the. We talked about that in our last podcast, didn't we? The history of it was an it was a reaction against liberal Christianity. Part of what I was talking about with the flight out of these great. Uh, schools like Princeton and Yale and so forth coming out of there, forming their own fundamentalist schools. And that those kind of people have come out of a Dallas seminary and those sorts of places, which is still Bob Jones University is another one. You know, uh, these are absolute total fundamentalist schools. And they're very militant, very intolerant, very black and white thinking. And yeah, the, there's a big spectrum, isn't there? There's, you could go all the way and be a very liberal Christian and being totally inclusive and, you know, uh, not into missions and shoving the Bible down people's throats. And (laughs) like you said, so there's a, you got to understand, yeah, there's a vast spectrum of Christianity.
0: I exactly. And I, and that's, that, that spectrum is what I'm wondering about because I think that I I have this optimistic, perhaps unwarranted view that, but I think it's true. I really objectively think it's true that most people just want to get along Just want to have a life that, you know, isn't too painful and isn't too horrible and maybe achieve some life goals and raise a family and, you know, just kind of get along in the world. And I think a lot, I think that's where most people are, you know, but I think if you're raised or indoctrinated with fundamentalist extremist beliefs and you carry those with, you know, through your life, then you can't help but live a fairly extremist fundamentalist, you know, very harsh life. You know, where you're Absolutely. gonna you're gonna be preaching uh, some pretty awful stuff and pretty intolerant stuff. I don't the beliefs themselves I, I don't particularly care about. I don't care if you know you you think Jesus is your savior, great, fine, wonderful. But if you think I have to accept Jesus as my savior or I or there's something really seriously wrong with me, and I have to have the law now come in and regulate my life because I don't agree with your religious views. You know, clearly that's where we're drawing lines here. So I come back to this question of how much, how worried should I be about this? How many of these folks are there? You know, if, in Scientology, with Scientology, I can say, hey, look, this is a really destructive cult. Don't get involved with these people. This is just not going to work out well for you. There's no end result to joining Scientology that's, that's going to end in a positive way. About 100% of the time, people are going to have a bad experience eventually. Um, I'm very confident in that. I feel very, very sure about that. I definitely know what I'm talking about with that. I'm not so sure with evangelicals, and to and, you know, but I go because I go. Well, this, the threat from Scientology is 40,000 people worldwide. I mean, we're talking a very, very statistically insignificant group. Fascinating group. Wonderful case study for the bigger picture that we're talking about now, which is why I always draw these comparisons. But I'm wondering, can you tell me? How big of a problem is this?
1: I would be concerned. I'm definitely concerned for sure. And the reason why, going back to my conversation with Conway and Sigelman now, I don't want to spoil too <laughs> too much of my own podcast, you know, you're going to have to tune into that one. But one of the things, okay, they wrote the book Snapping in 1978, just, and it came out apparently just six months before the Jonestown massacre slash suicide. So that kind of catapulted it into public prominence because It was everything kind of about what happened in Jonestown, about these sudden dramatic personality changes. And this is what was happening in the cults. Now, what led them into Holy Terror, which came out, I think, in 1982, 1983, which is a study of American fundamentalism. That's what you're saying. Guys like Falwell, Moral Majority, the Religious Right and all that. They said, well... What we're seeing on a microcosm level within these, the world of the cults, how they operate in terms of information control, mind control, fear mongering, and the, the, all those sorts of tactics on a macro level, we're seeing the exact same tactics being used by fundamentalist Christians. And that's what they talk about in Holy Terror. They say that's what they started picking up on around about 1980, around the, the Ronald Reagan election. That's, of course, when the, the, when the fundamentalists really got their act together politically. They were able to um, coalesce the, the Catholic as well as the evangelical votes around this topic of abortion. And they started studying that and saying, hey, we need to be concerned. And, and we mentioned this in our last podcast. The trajectory that was started back then is exactly the same one that we're seeing, I believe, right now with the Trump evangelical thing. It's exactly the same line. And that's what we need to be concerned about because there's like a, there's a a theology called dominion theology. And it says that Christ will return when we Christians occupy high offices all across America and high positions of influence. That's when Jesus will return. Now, a lot of Christian evangelicals will say that's heresy. However, it's crept into the evangelical church. So they're unaware of it, but they're supporting it. And so that's those concerns.
0: Right. Actually, let me let me throw another quote from this Guardian article out here, because I think the point you just made is, is a very, very good one. I think that there's a lot of people involved in this movement uh, It is a very broad, you know, very generalized Absolutely. kind of movement who are part of something they might not actually fully understand. Um, you know, one of the suggested one of the primary goals in the establishment of Liberty University by Jerry Falwell, senior, who was the founder of the moral majority, by the way. Um, and its massive expansion under Jerry Falwell Jr.'s leadership was, quote, to create generations of right-wing Christians who would run for public office for everything from dog catcher to U.S. president.
1: That's it. And this is something that the moral majority in 1980, they, they just like we were talking before we hit record about this thing called Project Blitz. Yeah, I we're going to go there, about, yes. The moral majority in 1980, they had four goals, and it's exactly what you just said. Number one, their, their first goal was to take over one political party, which they did, the GOP, the Republican Party. Number two was to take over both the House and the Senate with uh, their type of candidates. Number three was to take over the White House, which they did with Ronald Reagan. And number four was to take over the Supreme Court with a, a conservative majority of judges. And they accomplished all four of those goals. And so that was in 1980. So nothing's really changed. The exact same playbook with, they, they've now stacked the deck, haven't they? They've got a majority of, of um, conservative judges on the Supreme Court. They're now, their goal now is to overturn Roe versus Wade, which is what we talked about in the last show. That's why all of a sudden we're seeing all these anti-abortion bills coming out in state after state after state after state, because they're going, now's our chance. Let's get it out there now while we can get this thing overturned. So, the, yeah. the agenda goes right back to 1980.
0: This okay, good. So, right on. It. Good. So, they're still riding yeah. that. Hey, everyone. Time for a little ad break. I want to take a moment to talk about the Great Courses Plus, an educational streaming service that I truly believe in and think is well worth your time and investment. I'm convinced that knowledge is the key to a successful and happy life. There is a sense of pride that comes with knowing what you're talking about, and it's also kind of fun to beat everyone else at Trivial Pursuit, too. With The Great Courses Plus, you have access to experts on almost any topic. You don't just get a review of some basics with these courses. You get a deep dive that allows you to really master them. With unlimited access to thousands of lectures on topics as diverse as understanding the mysteries of human behavior, modern political tradition, travel photography, or even Mediterranean cooking, there is a wealth of information just a click away. And if you get the Great Courses Plus app, you can watch or listen just about anywhere. The featured course I recommend you check out now is The Skeptic's Guide to American History. There just isn't any substitute for knowing where we have been and no better way of knowing where we're going than to know our history. In this course, Professor Mark Stoller takes a second look at some of the central themes in American history, filtering through myths and misconceptions to offer new perspectives on pivotal events, like how the evangelical upheaval of the 19th century's Second Great Awakening still impacts us today. And of course, we've been talking about evangelicalism here on the podcast, so I think this might be relevant. Take a moment and sign up for The Great Courses Plus. Do it today. For a limited time only, they are offering my listeners an entire month for free, but to start your free month trial, you have to sign up using my special URL. Sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash critical. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash critical, and let me know what you think. And according to, um, oh, a couple years ago, I had a woman on my podcast here, I'll link to it below, who was um, raised... In a very what she considered a very conservative cult situation, which was a political one, of and she takes it back to the '50s, uh, and she's not the only one uh, who where you know a lot of money went into uh, uh, think tanks and political action groups who started moving things in the United States with malice aforethought. Uh, In a Christian right-wing conservative direction, right? What do we need to do to make this country fully conservative again? And a whole lot of money was poured into that. And a lot of people got on board with that and started moving the country more right again. And it's been moving in that general direction ever since the 50s. In many, many ways, we've had the civil rights movement, which which was a whole lot of pushback against that nonsense. So that was good, but we're constantly at war over civil rights and, and equal rights. And these guys, you know, if you're, if you're thinking while we're sitting here talking about this, that, oh, well, they're just Christians. What's the big deal? This is just bigotry. You guys just mean bigots. What if I said to you, The Scientologists were putting people in office at every level, from city to state to national, and were actively pursuing, you know, a candidate for president who would be a Scientologist, a Senate Majority Leader who would be a Scientologist, a House Republican or a House Leader who would be a Scientologist, and put Scientologists on the Supreme Court. Knowing everything I've told you guys, you know, in hundreds of videos about what Scientologists really think and really believe and are really about, would you be okay with that? I don't think you would. And I don't think you should be. And I don't think that makes you a bigot it has nothing to do with the religious belief. It has to do with what they want to do. And this is where I really get a little riled up, you know? So this, is how, this, and I needed to say that because I want to make this real, I want to put this, you know, this very clear line in the sand that this isn't about the religious belief. It's about the actions, the political actions, the rights, the human rights and civil rights actions, these people are taking, that I am concerned about. It's not their religion. I don't care about their religion. It just so happens that the thing that drives these people together is their religion.
1: Well, if you changed it, what if you said Muslim instead of Scientologist? Well, there
0: you go. I mean, look, there's the
1: one Muslim uh, Congresswoman and look at all the, the, the flap that's gone on around some of the pronouncements she's made. Well, look at, for example, when JFK was running for president, he was a Catholic. And the fundamentalists freaked out. They said, we are never going to vote for Kennedy because he's not, he's a Catholic. And all he has to do is the Pope just has to tell him what to do once he becomes president and he'll do whatever the Pope says. And so he had to work very hard to convince the evangelicals and the fundamentalists back then that, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a puppet of the Pope. Uh, And he, and they, they were able to sway that vote uh, to vote for Kennedy. So it's always been a concern, hasn't it? If someone's not an avowed Christian, I'm using air quotes, uh, you know, and you have, and for every president, you have to be seen to be attending church and all that, even Trump. You know, I went to this, you know, marble church in New York and, you know, Norman Vincent Peale's church, I guess it was, you know. I don't think he ever showed up in a day in his life, but he was he's registered on the rolls, I guess there,
0: yeah, he's just he's so Whatever. full of it. I mean, that photo op of all those ministers putting their hands on him, I just about threw up. I mean, it's just like to such so staged. Oh God, so staged. I mean, it's just such opportunism, this guy. And these the people, you know, and they have this agenda. So okay, so Project Blitz, first we mentioned it earlier, what is Project Blitz?
1: Okay, so that is another one of these things, like we talked about, yeah, the moral majority in the 1980s. Now we've got, this is just one sort of political action committee. They're concerned uh, to, to bring prayer back into public schools. They want to bring the Bible back into public schools. They, and they have, there's an agenda. We were talking about it before we recorded that it's online. Maybe I can send you the link to the actual document. You can put it in the show notes because it's something like a 148 page document and they spell out their agenda crystal with crystal clarity. Their first step is they want to put the slogan in God we trust on all state license plates, police cars, uh, fire engine doors, all that kind of thing. And then they're making a statement, obviously. And then they get into stuff like clarifying um, uh, marriage is by, between a man and a woman. And, you know, So obviously that immediately erases any same-sex marriage, You know, transphobic, all the rest of it they get into Bible literacy programs in public schools and universities. And so their agenda is just right down the line. And they want to pass all these things as legislation. And they're working on it right now. In fact, California just put out a bill, an In God We Trust bill. So we've already seen the first one.
0: Wow. And, And again, this is just one group, one political action group, right? That is loud and proud. There's nothing Absolutely. covert about this. No conspiracy mindset here. This is how it happens. This is how it's done. Right? If you really, if you really want to make change in America, and and again, get me that. I. It, it's not like they're. It's not like they are doing something criminal in putting an agenda together or doing something criminal in trying to rally voters to their cause. No, that's how you get shit done in America. (laughs) They're doing exactly the things they should be doing from their perspective to enact the change they want to see. I'm merely ringing the bell here, because I go, hey guys, if you're not aware of this happening right now, right here in your area, then you you got some blinders on, because this is going on right around you right now, no matter where you are in the US, but especially, of course, as we said, in the South and the Midwest is where it's heaviest. And, and that's
1: the problem. Uh, as Jim Siegelman said in our, in our podcast, he said, OK, the separation of church and state in America is enshrined in the Constitution. And people say that we want to separate the church and state. So the state is, is they can't breach the wall and go on into to c- control the lives of the churches and their tax exempt and all that. But somehow, he said, churches have been able to breach that barrier. They're going into the realm of the state. That's the problem. I think that right there says it all, that the church has breached the wall and they're going, they're not respecting the separation of church and state from their point of view. They've crossed the line. So yes, I agree, Chris, that there's nothing illegal about Project Blitz, but it, it violates this, the fact that the church is supposed to not be involved in the affairs of state. That's the problem.
0: Great point. Whereas, yeah.
1: Like here, here in Britain, people are so surprised all the time. My British friends, they, they don't understand... How is the church so heavily involved in the affairs of the state in America? And the, the right. state cannot dictate what the church does. Yet the, the church is absolutely right in there. Having Bible studies in the White House and in Congress, I mean, you don't see that in Parliament in London. It, it, can you imagine? It would be laughed out of there.
0: You know. They oh, would yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, 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 I I'm really glad you brought this up, actually, because that I needed to I needed that that pushback on what I had just said. Because I I was talking about it from the point of view of organizing. You know, people should organize politically. They should be passionate about their beliefs and they should try to forward what they want. But you're absolutely right about separation of church and state and the fact that it's the church that is encroaching on the state way more than the state is encroaching on the church. In fact, um On this point, um, this is actually where the IRS has fallen down the hardest and, and where this could have been stopped and was meant to be stopped with tax exemption codes, the 501c3. When you get 501, you know, it's the tax code. 501C3 is a point of the IRS tax code. And with that, you get tax exemption for religious purposes. But one of the things that you have to agree to is to not preach from the pulpit, not be support, not be preaching uh, or pushing any or endorsing any political agenda from the pulpit. And that is something that the church has gotten away with for well over a century now in the United States. And this is the result of that, when we allowed that to go on unchecked, they blatant disregard for 501c3, uh, which was specifically written to prevent this exact thing from happening. The IRS did not enforce that law because of hands off religion here in the United States, because we're so netso on the subject, that they never enforced it or they enforced it irregularly and only in the case of like extreme televangelists or people, you know, who are really, really like so blatantly abusing it that you just can't deny it anymore. But they give a pass to Falwell University. They give a pass to these other, you know, groups that are, I don't know that Falwell University is tax exempt, but the the church that Falwell's part of serves hell is. And that guy sends his students to Washington to do political protests right out of the university. I mean, are you kidding me with this? So great point. And thank you for bringing that up.
1: Well, and things have changed, obviously, because I remember when I was a pastor in Portland, Oregon, we started an after-school youth program out of our church basement, and that was for local neighborhood kids to come in, have a place to hang out after school when mom and dad aren't home for about three, three, four hours, had games and all sorts of stuff. It was just a fun sort of non-threatening. I mean, obviously, we, we were trying to proselytize them, but we were doing it in a friendship evangelism way, as we saw it then. But The point I wanted to make is that this was during the last of the George W. Bush uh, years when he was the president, and there was a big push to give money to faith-based organizations from the government, And, and that we saw at the time as a big victory for that kind of stuff you're talking about. We actually applied for a federal grant. We didn't get it, but we went through the whole document, and it basically said the government wants to give faith-based organizations money if you're doing things, positive things for your community, which we were, um, as long as you don't proselytize it, you know, in your thing. And that was the only caveat. And we thought, we're, 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 we're in like Flint. You know, we'll, we'll easily meet all these criteria. Unfortunately, the hoops that we had to jump through were so many to get to the application for the grant that we missed the deadline. We didn't get the money. So it was a struggle to keep it funded. But I mean that that we saw that as a big victory politically and and that was back in the bush era
0: right so, lot
1: well, has changed since then hasn't it
0: oh yeah all kinds and when they when they I tell I, i'm wondering what what your point of view was i know um as a as a former cult member what my point of view would have been about that caveat but what what did you guys think about that oh well as long as you don't proselytize right did you sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink? That like, oh yeah, sure. We won't proselytize, right? Or. Say did no you, more. Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> say no more. Say, exactly. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or did you actually think, okay, no, we can follow that. We'll be we'll be cool with that. We won't proselytize. Well,
1: our stated uh, vision statement, if you will, or mission statement was: we specifically started the program not to proselytize. So. But what what the document said was, okay, if you are a faith-based organization doing exactly the kind of thing that we were doing, an after-school youth program, it was nowhere specifically labeled a Christian. It just happened to be in the basement of the church. However, we could invite those kids to our youth group, which started 30 minutes after the thing closed. And that that specifically said in the document, that was how you, that was the loophole. So you, you could say, all right, guys, uh, we're closing at at six thirty tonight. Now you've got to leave, but you don't have to leave. You, you got to go outside. You can wait for thirty minutes. However, we have a, a youth group which is expressly Christian. You can you're invited to that. Uh, we can't coerce you to come, but and we had kids that did come, and that's that was our way in, and that was our way around. Well, they, that's what that's what the document said. That's how you have to do it. You can invite them to your services, and and if they want to come, they're free to come, but you cannot. Evangelized during the opening hours of your organization, which we never did. You know, we just felt we were seeking to build relationships with these kids and get them off the streets, basically.
0: Yeah, totally. And and a, and, a, and an effort that is should, that should be validated. Yeah, There's it nothing, was a great program. Yeah, nothing time. wrong with that. How did you, what did you see? What have your what has your experience been since that time with other groups? Um, in this sort of maybe could be made gray area, this idea of, you know, I mean coercive persuasion, undue influence, these are things. These are real things, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: A- and would would other groups, do you think, be as ethical or uh, you know, stringent with the regulations that you guys were under? Do you think other groups are the same or do you think there are people who are trying to push those boundaries and and push those kids? Well, you know, that was what make, was so, make yeah. those groups a gateway drug to their <laughs> yeah. group, so to speak.
1: Entrance into the cult, you know, um, you could look at it that way, though. I would I would look at it now and say, actually, that it could have been seen as a front organization that that was seemingly benign. And yet it was, like you say, a, a, a backdoor sort of thing to get them into the cult, where then they could be subject to all sorts of mind control, mystical manipulation milieu control, going down Robert Lifton's lists of cult markers, because I was going to say what was interesting about it was when we were trying to establish this after-school program, we went around to basically every church in our town, which was just south of Portland, Oregon, and we encountered that gamut of what you just said. There was a few that supported what we were about. They were ideologically in our corner, but the vast majority said that's not evangelistic enough.
0: Right. You know what I mean? Right. That
1: was the problem. They said, we, we love the idea, but we don't like the idea that you can't proselytize during the hours of operation. Therefore, we won't help you in any way, shape or form right. unless you start becoming more missional, which is the buzzword. Uh, that's the word they use. You have to be missional. And we weren't being missional. We said, well, we're building relationship. No, no, no. You have to actively preach the gospel every every opportunity you get. Therefore, we don't think you're being Christian enough, you know?
0: Yes, exactly. You're not Christian enough. Some pigs are, you know, more equal than others. So, uh, okay, so I get that. And that, and, and of course, you're going to have that. I figured it would be a spectrum answer, sure. you know, because that that makes sense, because that's kind of lines up how people really are. Um, the, the, you know, there's no black and white situations in the big wide world. Everything's just shades of gray. Um, okay, so how... Um, how dangerous do you think this is? How far along on this agenda do you think things have gotten here in the United States? From your perspective now as an outsider, a uh, former insider now, by outsider, I mean you're literally outside the United States. And I know for a fact that when you get out of the U.S., you are you get a level of objectivity about the U.S. that cannot be gotten while you're in the U.S. Because of the news you see, the reporting that gets done, even the whole perspective is wildly different, um, in a good way. I mean, you know, I I think it's a good thing to get out of the US. I think more people should be traveling. It it, it shocks and disappoints me that only, you know, 10% of Americans have passports. So, so I value your, you know, external view now. (laughs) So how far along do you see this? And where, what, what do you think we should be paying attention to?
1: It's interesting you asked that because I was just having this conversation a couple of days ago with a friend of mine about this whole how how seriously should we take all this stuff it it's definitely a thing there's there is there's no doubt that like you said that you got project blitz you've got the remnants of the moral majority from way back in 1980 there that trajectory is very much alive and well they're trying to accomplish something these anti-abortion bills and all that there it stuff's happening there's no question and it has to be taken seriously but there's two possibilities. One is it's either the last gasp of evangelicalism, and this is their absolute last throw of the dice. If they don't succeed, then that's, that's kind of the, that's it. That's, that's it for them. They're going to fade away, and th- that's their last gasp. The other possibility I thought of is that it's a pendulum swing. So therefore, we can see historically that, well, theologically, for one thing, for sure, and historically, the pendulum swings from extreme to extreme. And it goes from extreme right and then it goes back over to extreme left. Right now, this could be interpreted as a pendulum swing to the extreme right, theologically, you know, and so forth. And it, and, but the, it'll correct itself. It'll come back uh, eventually. Trump will either lose the next election or he'll, he'll maybe serve his second term. He can only serve two terms. They'll get someone else in there and the pendulum will maybe correct itself. That's a possibility too. But if they win, we're we're right in the handmaid's tail. I think that's where this is heading. And a lot of people are starting to say that. In fact, what's interesting is these protests in the various states where they've tried to pass these bills, you've seen women coming up to this, you know, city hall steps and things in handmaid's tail costumes. Because that's where this thing's going. That's they want to establish a theocracy, which is what Gilead is really all about in their view and that that's extremely frightening. I think you should be very concerned if they uh, get yeah, their way.
0: I agree completely. I think we I think we said in the last podcast I think I made a point of, you know, what theocracy in history was a thriving successful wonderful place to live in. You exactly. Know, what theocracy When does it work
1: out so well? <laughs> yeah, what
0: theocracy yeah. exists in the world now that is a wonderful thriving fantastic place yeah, to live. Utopian, <laughs> you know. Like this is always going to go in a direction of ignorance and intolerance. And I really firmly believe that based on my, you know, 49 years of life here and and all those things that I've seen in history is, is it, is it does tend to go in this very militant, intolerant, uh, faith-based, you know, which really in many ways This is probably going to be controversial. Maybe I shouldn't even say this out loud, but I'm kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to end on this. I want to know what you think about (laughs) about this. Okay. I'm going to hit you with this and let's just see what happens. Um, I I have a philosophical difference with the, with a faith-based government system or with a, with a, with a faith-based worldwide belief idea, um, because, I think it clashes with the whole thrust of history and and where we're going as a species. We are going in the direction of more knowledge, more information, more understanding through science and reason and, and civilization as it evolves very, very slowly, far too slowly for most of us. But it is an evolving, growing thing. And we have come to know more in the last hundred years than we have known in the thousands of years before that as knowledge builds and builds and builds. Hopefully, uh, we will have some realizations about, you know, climate change in, in time to prevent full disaster. I, I think we're I think we're all headed for a fairly painful future on that front. But in in terms of religion, the part that I think is going to be a little, uh, it seems to me that the fundamental idea of Christianity, going all the way back to Genesis and the apple and the and or the fruit of of you know the knowledge of good and evil and the and the Garden of Eden is they're trying to go back toward, they're trying to revert to ignorance as a blissful state of being, that the Garden Mm -hmm. of Eden, lacking knowledge of good and evil, lacking anything other than the Lord's word and and guidance, that's all you need to have a happy, wonderful life of ignorance. I don't want to have a life of ignorance. I've lived there. I've been there. I've I've done that. I know what that feels like. It's not a, it's not a freeing, liberating, wonderful experience. Living in ignorance means you have walls around you all the time that you can't get past or over because you don't know how, you know? And, uh, and I think this is important. And I think that the, uh, it seems to me that the ultimate goal of this faith is to push us back into a dark age, of ignorance, where we don't need knowledge. you know i've I've seen billboards. I've seen notices from certain evangelical preachers about how critical thinking is the tool of the devil, how how reason and rationale is is bad for you because it makes you question the Lord. And I go, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, like didn't the Lord give us knowledge and intelligence and free will for a reason? I mean, aren't we supposed to be? knowledgeable about these things it seems like trying to race towards ignorance and and the dark ages again is just dooming the entire species and that's that's the philosophical problem i have with this belief system and i know i'm gonna get a lot of pushback from a lot of christians who are not in the evangelical camp who are gonna say well that's not what i'm about granted i good thank you I'm, i hope you're not on board with that having said all that What do you think?
1: Well, I would add to your philosophical objection, there's a theological layer, too. Mm -hmm. And that is going back to your analogy of Genesis and all those biblical uh, texts, the Old Testament. It was a patriarchal system as well. So even though it was a theocracy, you have a male God and men who ran the show. And therefore, that was rife for all kinds of abuses. So that garden variety evangelical that's all up in arms and has offended at your statement—that's not me. I'm not that kind of person. That's not what I believe. Well, guess what? You're still propping up a system that abuses people, and there are people in your camp that are trying to push for an extremely uh, narrow, militant—you know—all those kind of adjectives—a uh, a handmaid's tale sort of world. And so, by being a part of the system. Okay and this is something that a friend of mine said it's 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 only bad it's it's a great system until it happens to you. Right and that's the problem. <laughs> right. Oh my church is wonderful. My pastor is a wonderful man until you get stabbed in the back. Until something happens to you or someone you care about. Then you start seeing the 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 dark underbelly to the whole thing and that's when people start deconstructing in one way hopefully they ever they or they double down <laughs> you
0: know well you just basically described in a very general sense the escape route of every single person who gets out of a destructive cult because that's that's what that yeah because that's what has to happen practically is some is they they have to become a target in some fashion and then their eyes open then they go oh my god you know but then
1: for as many people as that happens to there's a thousand people who stay and who are you know abused and they just you know tamp down the cognitive dissonance and they stay and they stay and they stay and are subject to all kinds i've been watching that documentary wild wild country on netflix there's a couple of couple of really good documentaries and it's just fascinating about how people stayed in that sect or commune or cult whatever it was despite all the insanity that was going on around them because they were getting something they felt like they couldn't get anywhere else and the community powerful community it was loving. It was accepting on a lot of levels. There's another documentary, "Holy Hell," is another one. You know, and that's what people say that the cult is long gone. They've long since left it. They deeply miss the community that they had, and exactly. they say, "Yeah, I was abused. I was raped. I was I was horribly abused." but my God, we loved each other,
0: (laughs) right? It's all, it's all about the, you know, it is, it's all about the dopamine. It's all about the, um, you know, oxytocin, you know, these brain chemicals are just fucking flying left, right and center when you're in these experiences. And these are powerful, motivating forces in our lives. This, this it's all driven from here, you know? So yeah. I hear you, man. I hear you.
1: All right. Well, and that's what you see in that in that holy hell. That's what's so fascinating is this cult mem- cult leader. He he is literally engineering these incredible um, experiences that the follower they were shaking and and that's the snapping maybe that Conway and Siegelman are talking about. But that there was an absolute experience, and they wanted to come back and re- you know receive that again and again and again. So they just kept putting up with incredible abuses, and they stayed.
0: Yeah, big time. It, big it seems time.
1: inexplicable looking at it from the outside, but as a cult person, you, you understand, as you say, what it's like to be on the inside.
0: That's right. And it's it's really, it, it is, uh, you know, these words, rapture, you know, that, I mean, these, these are appropriate words for how the mindset you can get into. And it's powerful, man. I would have taken a bullet for David Miscavige. I would have died for L. Ron Hubbard. I was in a place where I definitely would have done that. Uh, without even thinking about it, you know. And now I look back at that, and I'm just like, my God, what
1: who was that guy?
0: <laughs> yeah, it, pretty much, you know. Pretty but much. That
1: was the, that was the cult personality, wasn't
0: it? The That's cult right. Chris Shelton. Exactly.
1: Now, now you're the authentic Chris Shelton. Who looks <laughs> back? I, I look at myself the same way. When I was a pastor and doing all that stuff, I think, who the hell was that guy? But I so believed it. You know, I wanted to evangelize the world. I went to Africa. I went to Mexico. I did all sorts of stuff. I preached all over the place, man. You know, and I discipled so many people. I taught in a Bible college for eight years. You and know, a, so a, I was a, right in
0: there. A big time, man. Big time. Yeah. I, it has to be commented on. Maybe we should maybe we should end on this, you know, because I, I I I haven't used the word evil during this podcast, right? I haven't used the word malvicious intent. You know, these horrible people who just want to see us all burn. I don't really look at those people that way. I mean, you know, some of them I do. I mean, some of them I think are pretty evil. But but for the, for the, for the big group here, you know, the people who are listening to this, you folks out there, you know, Clint and I, we kind of get it. I mean, we've been there in this place where you really believe you're saving the world. You're making a big difference. You're going to help everybody out. And all I would ask you is that you think through what would it look like? What would it look like if all of your goals were achieved? Would it look like a society of true freedom of thought and belief? And would there be tolerance or would there be intolerance? Would there be, you know, is your righteousness of such importance that, you know, that people have to die for it? That that people have to you know be be removed from the equation in some factor in order for your world to exist the way you want it to be, and if the answer is yes to those kind of questions, then I I, I beg you to please reevaluate your belief system because I think it's taking you in a in a fairly destructive direction uh, for all of us. You know,
1: there are so many examples of this because here's the problem with the scenario you just laid out: people. There's always going to be a segment of people that don't want to go along with your religion or your beliefs. Here's a classic example, the Spanish Inquisition. You know, before Ferdinand and Isabella were trying to unite southern and northern Spain, the Christians, the Jews, and the Moors, who were Muslims, lived in pretty, uh, I wouldn't say it's a golden era, but they, they coexisted, they traded together, they lived in neighborhoods side by side, they, they were peaceful, they coexisted. Then when the Catholic Church took over in the form of Ferdinand and Isabella, that's what brought on the Spanish Inquisition. They had to force both Jews and Muslims to convert by the, by the sword, essentially, or, or get out, leave, leave all their possessions behind and everything they'd worked so hard for. And if they didn't do that, they ended up burning them at the stake. You know, so that's, there's your theocracy right there, because there's always going to be a segment that doesn't want to go along with your program. So what are you going to do? Start burning people at the stake? That's what the Catholics did.
0: Exactly. Historical no, fact. It it's, it's not historical fact. No, Absolutely. It, we're not making happened. this stuff up. No. You know, people who were capable then of doing that are still just as capable now of doing that. It's not like we've evolved yeah. beyond that.
1: Yeah, because we were in Portugal last year on holiday. We went into a castle near the villa we were staying and there were some actual remnants there was a display from the Inquisition. Some actual torture implements that had been, you know, preserved in this museum. And there was this chair with spikes in it and all these torture implements. And that was the church that was doing that. (laughs) It's just, it boggles the mind when you see the actual thing from, you know, the 17 and 1800s. I mean, it was right there in this museum. And they they used to people into that Uh who were Jews and Muslims and everything. You know, the Catholic church was doing that to people. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah it's okay. pretty it's pretty bad it's
1: I want to be a part of
0: yeah exactly
1: if I need to, be, to believe something different I'm going to end up in a on the rack or I'm going to end up in a you know a chair with spikes in it or burned at the stake
0: exactly so bottom line is Open if that, that's yeah. if that's your vision of a perfect society then you know Clinton and I and people like us are, are going to be fighting you every step of the way because we don't Thank believe you, in man. that
1: Yeah, I don't want to end up on the rack, that's for sure. Goddamn right,
0: man. I I don't think you do either. Nope, and I I don't want to see them on the rack either. I just want to see us being able to get along. Can't we all
1: just get along? I mean, I don't know why. It seems so easy to say, but it's it's virtually impossible to actually... (laughs)
0: Well, that's why you have to, that's why really the key word of everything that comes back, you know, it always comes back to me, for me is tolerance. You're not going to get along with everybody. There's no world where that happens. There is no world where that happens. We're too varied. We're too multinational. We're too multi-denominational. multidenominational. There's too many ideas out there that people glom on to and, and go for, go with and they run with it for their whole life. Fine. Just let other people do what they want to do too. Why is this so difficult? So this is the hill we have to climb. You know, is the hill of this tolerance. We have to be able to live with exactly. each other, despite our differences. You know, maybe in some cases because of our differences, we have to we have to learn how to do this. So, Quint, yeah. thanks Absolutely. for thanks for coming on board this time. I I, I do need to wrap hey. it up. I, I know we've got. Three more hours, we could talk about this stuff. I'm serious; we totally could, and we're going to in future episodes because I really enjoy interacting with you.
1: Yeah, I really, I love it too, Chris. There's so much more we could say, but we'll save it for the next time.
0: That's right, exactly. Thank you again for being on board here, folks out there. Any questions, comments, feedback at all—good, bad, or sideways—please leave it in the uh, show notes or the sorry the comments section here on YouTube or at uh, sensiblyspeaking.com. Um, uh, I will again, uh, you know, end with the idea here that, um, you know, I really appreciate your feedback out there. Uh, anything you got to say, you know, even if I'm going to argue with you, even if it doesn't look like in the comments, I, I appreciate anything you're saying. <laughs> I do appreciate the fact you're saying it. So I do want to put that out there. And the last thing I want to end the podcast with um, is, uh, let's all remember that uh, as riled up as we get about this stuff, in the end, it's chaos be kind. (laughs) So thanks for coming around guys. I will see you next week. Bye-bye.